The human heart beats between 60 and 100 times per minute. Okay, let's get this out of the way right now. That rushing sound of steps and pulsating heartbeat? Yeah, no, that's not mine. But I am at Fenway Park, Boston's very own cathedral. Today's service doesn't involve the usual mix of red, white, and gray uniforms. There's another church in session entirely. And the disciples? Spartan warriors. Spartan Races was founded by Joe DeSena, and the company has inspired millions to be more active, living and breathing the gospel of Spartan. But how Joe found himself creating an endurance race empire is just as outright fascinating as Joe is himself. The story involves organized crime, a harrowing life and death experience in negative 30 degree temperatures, and an ambitious Spartan goal that's going to take every fan, every warrior, working together to achieve. Joe stopped by our studio a few weeks before the race at Fenway. And here is our conversation. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for, for coming in. We're psyched oh, to have you. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you come complete with your kettlebell, which is awesome. I'm, I'm, um, I'm attempting to set a Guinness Book record with this thing. Are you seriously? Yeah, it's great news. Um, so I've been carrying this thing around for, God, it's got to be two and a half years now. And um, I just was able to get something with TSA where I can carry it on planes. No. Because so, it was a nightmare because I would, I would have to check it. Yeah. And then try, try to get it at the other end. And sometimes it would come rolling down like a bowling ball and smash into things and almost took out a security officer. And then yeah, I'm embarrassed. Much safer to have it on the plane. <laughs> exactly. With you. Exactly. Does that count as your carry on? Or um, is that no, they don't, bother, they don't bother me about it. I have my backpack. I pretty much can go anywhere for any length of time with a backpack and a kettlebell. Very yeah. cool. Got to be able to move on a dime. Absolutely. So you started pretty early in your life with this whole entrepreneurship thing. Uh, what are your earliest memories of work? So I, I grew up in a neighborhood uh, that woke up very early. Uh, it was a neighborhood riddled with organized crime, but also everybody was a hustler. Yeah. And I say that in a positive way. Um, trucks were started at four in the morning, bagels were being buttered, coffee was being brewed. And um, if you were a young kid, as I was, my sister were, my friends, um, you, be, you got sucked up in that. And so um, people were running tow truck businesses out of their kitchen. And so if you went to go, you know, if you had friends of yours that, that were their, those were their parents mm -hmm. and you went in and you saw the radios and they were working around the clock, they just became part of your DNA. It's like a pulse. It's a pulse. And, and if you weren't busy and you weren't, well, then something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so um, at a very young age, pre 10 years old, I was selling fireworks. I don't know how I figured it out because now that I have children, I think, how did you even get them? Could my yeah, like I literally snuck downstairs, got on a phone in the house that nobody would hear, found the phone number for the supplier, purchased a <laughs> With bunch your of your little like eight year old voice. Yeah, exactly. And 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 had <laughs> that a supplier. I literally must have had. I made a list of the things I needed, you know, two grosses of bottle rockets, four mats of firecrackers, figured out how much I was gonna pay um, for each item, what I was gonna sell it for, where we were gonna meet for the uh, for the transaction, right? Because <laughs> it was illegal. It was illegal, <laughs> and and um and that be that was the beginning. That was it. That started it all. Do you remember the first exchange of money, like your first customer? My first customer, if I remember correctly, I was paying a penny for a pack of firecrackers and selling them for three cents. If I remember correctly, that is a nice return. It was a nice return, but you're gonna love this. My parents got divorced. My mom moves me to Ithaca, New York, to get me away from this craziness. My my sister and I, and 
there's no supply of fireworks there. Uh, yeah, I would imagine not. And so I quickly learn the um, theories behind low, you know, supply and demand. And everybody wants packs of firecrackers, mm-hmm. and I can get them. And so I set the new price at a dollar a pack. And, so, <laughs> and they paid it. And they paid it. Because where else are you going to get them? Until I got thrown out of school. And, then, and that's when I learned, you know, my father said, hey, good job, but you should do things that are legal. Was the pace of life very different in Ithaca from, you know, where you started off? It was. It was. And I, I expended the energy differently. So, so I did less business and, and I got into, um, I used to race uh, BMX bikes. So I needed to burn off that energy as a kid. We yeah. didn't have video games like we do today. And, and so I took all that energy and started uh, racing BMX bikes. But, but um, back in Queens, where my dad was, where we went, you know, we went to go visit him every couple of weekends, I started a business down there, a legal business. I started cleaning swimming pools for uh, first for my neighbor, and then it grew and grew and grew. Oh, okay. And so then that is probably what eventually evolved into a pool business in your 20s, right? Yeah, that grew um, every year. I took a really long-term view on yeah. that business. I, I, uh, I had a lot of mentors in the neighborhood that were kind of telling me things like, um, with a business, you take care of it for a long time, and then it takes care of you. And so uh, very early on, I learned this idea that like, you need to delay gratification, not pull the money out of the company, yeah. keep things really lean. And um, yeah, and so, and so I, I built that business. And, and by the time I graduated college, I had paid for college with that business and had a business that was netting me $250,000 a year in, in 1990. Which is unreal, for, yeah. especially that age, for, too. Oh, for a kid graduating college, yeah. But that strikes me as really interesting because that feels counter to the advice that a lot of startups get today, which is, you know, you have to turn a profit quickly. You have to you know, make something of it or get out, basically. And, and it seems like that advice that you got was unique. Um, maybe not for when you got it, but, but today you don't hear it that often. Yeah, I mean, t- today um, I see a lot of entrepreneurs just burning through uh, cash. Maybe they're a little sloppy. I, I, I like remaining very lean. Mm-hmm. I've started a lot of businesses since then. And um, I, I typically don't raise money um, because I like to remain very lean and not be sloppy. And if you could make it work on crumbs, mm-hmm. um, well, then when things really get rolling, you know, you could pour 100 gallons of gasoline on it then. Yeah. So that's, that's, just, that's just the way I roll. What did you learn about yourself during those days? You know, I, I think um, I think everybody has to look inside and figure out what their true north is, what their purpose is. And I think at that point in time, in my early teens, even preteens, I needed to to know if I was good enough. Mm-hmm. Could I build a business? Could I go shoulder to shoulder with the guys that had Cadillacs and rolls of you know yeah. dollars in their pockets and hundred dollar bills and and um, could I do it? And so, and so that was, that was, I don't know if I'm answering the question cor- correctly, but, but that was the driving force for me was, was, was I capable? And, and that was my whole purpose. Yeah. And, and, um, I think I am. <laughs> I figured so that, out I, am. I was going to say, <laughs> is that a feeling that goes away or? Well then once I, once I felt like, I guess it's like Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs in, in a sense, like I, I needed that first. And then my, my next uh, career was on Wall Street. I sold that business and I went to Wall Street. And, and, and I, guess, I guess I also wanted to know was I, you know, could I rub shoulder to shoulder with like, I, I considered real business, yeah. right? Right, Goldman Sachs. And you admired those guys. Yeah, the big, the big guys yeah. <laughs> and girls. And, and, and um, I, I think I, I got that affirmation very quickly there that, that yes, I, I was... Uh, business is business. It doesn't matter where you are. It's it's got all the same 
attributes and principles mm-hmm. associated with it. And so, and then, and then I wanted to make money. Yeah. Now I'm on Wall Street and I want to make money, right? So now I had a new purpose and I achieved that. At least my, you know, everybody's got their own. Right off the bat or did No, did it was a disaster. It was a disaster. <laughs> it's always a disaster in the beginning. It's like running a hundred miles, right? The first yeah. seven, you just, you want to kill yourself. But, but um, no, it took a while, but eventually it worked in a big way. And big for me from a kid, you know, yeah. for a kid from the neighborhood. And then, um, and then my purpose became, I want to change lives. I want to get people healthy. Yeah. And so, uh, and so it's, it's evolved since those early days. And I learned a lot of, I found out who I am. Yeah. Right. I get to look in the mirror and, and find out how I act when everything is falling apart around you, because yeah. that's what it's like to own a business. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody can be good when times are good. How right. are you when times are tough? So speaking of that, you know, before we even move move into Spartan, uh, you were in on Wall Street during the 2008 crash. I was not only on Wall Street during the 08 crash, but I was on Wall Street during the um, September 11th um, planes flying into um, the, the towers, the center, and, yep. and I was a block away, and I had had breakfast in the towers the, the, the day before. So that was a that was an eye opener to say yeah. the least. Um, but 08 was uh, that was crazy times. That was um, I literally. Where were you that day? Right before the market had completely bottomed at 666 in the S&P, I was on a bike. I had bicycled across the country. I took 14 days. And during the bike ride, every day checking in, the market got worse oh, wow. and worse. And I don't think... That's Le- going to be a surreal feeling when yeah, you're Le- on a bike. Lehman hadn't collapsed yet. When I got back from the bike ride, um, everything started to fall apart. Sure. And, um, and I remember the day where it was most bleak. It was the day the market actually turned and bottomed. I went out. Uh, I was in Vermont. And I went out on the farm and I saw a couple of old timers that were uh, running a tractor. And I literally was convinced it was over. Like the game was over mm-hmm. or the economies were going, like this was the, the end. The big game. Like the, the, big, the whole the thing. Entire the US democracy. Yeah. <laughs> it was over. Capitalism done. It was done. And, and, um, and this old timer, he's probably 80 years old, he's, running, he's like, I'll bounce back. And, and like yeah. had no experience in the markets at all. And. And he just had a calm over him that, you know, he didn't get caught up in the craziness. And so sitting on a trading desk and watching everything and like, you're just too close to it. Yeah. But he was, he literally called the bottom farmer. Yeah. So that kind of a perspective shift is critical. Well, don't, yeah, don't be so close to it, right? You yeah. gotta, you gotta step away. Anytime and, and things feel just completely overwhelming. Take a step back. Yeah. Well, okay, then let's talk about how you pivoted that into the the sort of idea and the generation of Spartan. What happened between Wall Street and Spartan? So we got to go way back. So um, back when I was trying to sell fireworks, my mom walks into a health food store in the 1970s, completely random, and there is a yogi that just landed from India, and he convinces her that uh, this idea of raviolis and ganolis and all the food we're eating um, and and not exercising is is the wrong way. And Mm -hmm. the right way is yoga, meditation, becoming a vegan, and she buys into it, hook, line, and sinker. And she brings that home, which is part of the reason my parents got divorced, because it so was- So complete 180, she just- Complete 180. Drew a line, stepped over it, and shifted her lifestyle. Shifted everything. And huh. again, if that was California at the time, yeah. it kind of would make sense. Queens did not make any sense. Yeah. She was considered a wacko, not only by everybody around us, but by myself and, and my dad and everybody. Um, but anyway, in the ensuing years, she starts to bring monks into the living room. She's wow. pushing um, She's pushing a 3,100-mile race in Queens around a one-mile loop to show how powerful the human mind is if you set your mind on mm-hmm. something. Like, so 
I'm seeing all this stuff, even though I'm not accepting it. She's a crackpot. Yeah, what did you think in that moment? It's crazy. I had pictures of gurus on the wall. I didn't know how to explain it to my friends, yeah. that, who these people are, why there's people with beads chanting. And and um, and that must have been strange, because it, it's right around the time of their divorce. You've moved. There's a lot of change. You must have felt kind of out of control. It was wacky. It was hard to... You don't feel cool um, to your friends, mm-hmm. right? And um, I mean, look what kids go through today with Facebook and Instagram, yeah. right? So, so I, I come over to my house, <laughs> and we're eating branch sandwiches and chanting. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, fast forward, I build my businesses, I find out who I am, I start to get more confidence, I make some money, and I'm like, wow, my mother was right, yeah. right? Because here I am on a trading desk feeling unhealthy, and I started doing yoga. And I started eating healthy, and I met a guy who was running up and down the stairs at work, and he was mm-hmm. training every day, and I started training with him. And before you know it, I was doing adventure races and ultra runs and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I said, wow, not only is this good for me, not only do I feel good, but my business is doing better, my employees are getting into this, right. and, and um, oh my God, if I take clients with me and we do this together, it's like going to war with somebody. Yeah. You are friends for life. Mm-hmm completely transformative uh, for me, for the business, for people I roped into it. And then, and then I said, wow, I could, I could actually make a business out of this. I, yeah. could, I could change lives um, and get paid. Did you need to hit the depths of 9-11 and 2008 to get there mentally? Or do you think that would have happened regardless? In my head, uh, I was never going to retire on a trading, I wasn't going to be out to pasture on the trading desk like that. Like it was, I was there for a mm-hmm. short time in my head. The reality is, when you're making money in in financial services, you have golden handcuffs. Very hard to leave. Yeah, you can't find a job where you make that kind of money yeah. anywhere else. And it's so, a real sacrifice. You have to have that kind of a sea change in your head. Yeah. So most people don't leave. So I think I think the crowbar was you know between nine eleven mm-hmm. and and two thousand eight nine. Um, that was a crowbar that actually got me to do what I really wanted to do anyway, which was get out. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard a fable, and I yeah. really just want to know if it's true, yeah. um, about a race you did in Quebec. Ah. Do you know what I'm referring to? I do. Uh, tell me the details. What happened in Quebec? Uh, is, the, is the lore real? <laughs> I had done some races, and I said to my friends, give me something hard. I want to I really meet myself. Give me, give me the hardest race in the world. They said, well, the hardest race in the world is in Alaska. It is a, the Iditarod, the dog sled race by right. foot. But before we do that, we're going to take it to Quebec, and we're just going to do something that's in the cold and get you ready mm-hmm. for Alaska. And so I said, they said yeah, is it t-? no, it's not too tough. It'll be, it'll be a tune-up for Alaska. So we get to Alaska. We get um, to um, Quebec, northern Quebec, and it's, um, it's like 30 below, zero. Yikes. Right? And there's a ton of snow. And we are out there like barely surviving, right? right? My eyelashes are frozen shut. And we are climbing this mountain for like 15 hours, right? I could not stand outside in 30 below for 15 minutes. Oh, we've already been out three days, right? So 15 hours now we're going up this mountain. And um, we get to the top of this mountain and we're supposed to rappel down. Yeah. Off a rock face, right? No big deal. No big deal. The team that was ahead of us was dangling from ropes that had not been secured properly on the rocks. So we are now stuck on top of the mountain, completely exposed, wind blowing, freezing, waiting. Well, after about four or five hours of standing there, the ropes are not going to get resecured. We're, not, we're going to have to hike down. So 
exhausted, frozen, frustrated, I say to the team, why don't we hang a left right here? Mm -hmm. Rather than taking the same way down, we could actually, this is a shortcut it looks like. We should be dead. We should Famous not be last al- words. We should not be alive today because it turned out to be this incredibly steep rock face. It was basically vertical, except for there was so much snow that there was a kind of a path down. Fell off a cliff. I was hanging from a tree. It was like a oh cartoon. It was, un- it was unbelievable. We get to the bottom. Lucky we're alive. Push through the next couple of days. Finish the thing, and um, I don't go back to Northern Quebec. <laughs> Can I ask? Because I, I don't think I will ever be in that situation. So you never, you never know, and, and you never know. But Zombie just in apocalypse. case, just in case, I am never in that situation. Kind of fingers crossed. Um, is your mind blank when you're walking down? Is is there something going through your head? What are you actually thinking? Well, you know, in a race like that, you, where you're out there six plus days, you're exhausted. You haven't slept. Yeah. Right. So so the whole thing is surreal. And, and you don't have it together enough to be saying, oh, my God, this is too, right? You're in really good shape. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. Um, you're younger than I am than I am now. And um, you're invincible. Um, mortality is not something that's on your mind. Looking, so you're not thinking, doing the odds and figuring out if you might not make no, it. No, I remember when we got to the bottom of that cliffhanger uh, and we looked up. And I believe, I, I hope I still have it on film. I couldn't even describe it to the listener right now because when we looked up, it was obvious that we were complete idiots and we should be dead. And I think for a moment looking up, you realize like, wow, this could get stupid really fast just because you're not all there. Yeah. One more question on that and then I want to move on to Spartan. Uh, What did you do that night? Was there like a hot bath involved? Did you get in the fetal position? No, 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 no. You continue to move. We climbed the next mountain. Huh. And we continued on, and we put on our cross-country skis, and, and we, we were working our way to the finish line. Yeah. I mean, it was very much like, it sounds, by the way, brutal, right? But think about what life was like for Lewis and Clark. Sure. Or if you and I were going cross-country 200 years ago in horse and carriage. Yeah. Like, what would that have been like? Yeah. Right? The wheel breaks, grandma dies. Like. Yeah, it's just right? a long way from a desk at Wall Street. Long way from the desk. Uh, you started Spartan and, um, you know, was really were putting it like blatantly losing money for for quite some time in Spartan, almost 15 years. Mm. Going back to that original sort of advice for startup founders, most people somewhere in there might have given up. What kept you going um, and kept you sure that this was going to be um, something big, something profitable? So, you know, I, I just wrote a book called The Spartan Way. And I, I tried to list um, nine, ten principles mm-hmm. that are um, principles that you have to practice in order to achieve anything yeah. in, in life, any kind of success as a mom, a monk, a, a mobster, <laughs> right? You got you to follow these principles. You got to be good at them. And one of those principles is commitment. And so when I think about the question you just asked, I think about like Thomas Edison, who wanted to make a light bulb. And the first one doesn't work. And the mm-hmm. second one doesn't work. And the hundredth one doesn't work. And the two hundredth one doesn't work. And he's like 900 light bulbs in. Mm-hmm. Why did he continue? Right? And so um, quitting's not an option for me. I, I, um, I was passionate about it. I was going to make it work one way or another. And um, I like telling friends and family that I'm doing something because then mm-hmm. I'm on the hook. And I just don't like to lose. Now, I will say... Uh, for those listening out there, that there are times where you're supposed to quit and you're supposed to pivot. 
And a gentleman named Ed Visters, an American uh, mountain climber, says getting to the top is optional, getting mm -hmm. down is mandatory. And, and that's how you have to think. Now, now the, the $65 million question is, when do you pivot? That's right. When do you give up? Should, should Thomas Edison have quit yeah. 400 light bulbs in? And I think that answer is determined by your true north, your purpose that we spoke about earlier. If your purpose is to be the greatest mountain climber that ever lived, and the only way for you to achieve that medal is to get to the top that day in the storm, you probably go for it. Yeah. Probably go for it, because that's your true north. That's your purpose. But if, if your purpose is to be the greatest family man that ever lived, you turn around. Yeah. I was climbing a mountain, Aconcagua, in South America, tallest mountain in South America, and I was 100 feet from the top, and a lightning storm rolled in, and, and uh, folks I was with said, look, we got to wait a day. And I thought, like, I don't need to prove anything to myself. I yeah. don't care if I summit or I don't summit. Um, I've already proven to myself that I'm capable of doing the things I want to do. Right. What I do want to do is be with my family. I'm not going to sit up here for another day. It could, it could turn into three days or four days because people that want to summit are just going to wait for that moment. I'm going down, jumping on a plane, going hanging out with my wife because that's what yeah. I want to do. So I don't know if that answered the question. But, no, but, it does. Yeah, it, yeah no, it's really helpful. And I think because you didn't quit, but you did pivot a bit, I would imagine, in the process to get to where you are. You, you tried different strategies. You changed directions. What were some of the inflection points or the strategies that you tried to uh, really build some more momentum around the business? Well, the first, the first 10 years of, of Spartan uh, had a different name and uh, had different format. So we were putting on 350-mile races, and mm -hmm. shockingly, nobody was showing up. Um, but that's what I wanted to do because those were the races I was doing. Got it. And, and, um, so you're building I, a company for yourself, for not myself, for your... For myself, not for, for, yeah. for the marketplace. And I kept playing with that and trying different ways to convince people to come out and do races. Mm -hmm. I would lie to them and say they're coming to a barbecue that weekend. When it was really <laughs> you did not. I swear. <laughs> and, and, um, and then in 2010, 2009, as, as the market was just coming out of uh, the mess, I decided to change the format, pivot, change the name. Didn't think it was going to work because I had already been going 10 years and it, yeah. and it wasn't working. And it worked. And it worked uh, in a small way to, to start, but much better than what I'd seen. And then it just kept getting better and better and better. More from Joe after this quick break. If you're a fan of The Growth Show, you might already know our not-so-secret secret. This isn't our only podcast. We just released the first season of Skill Up a bingeable podcast all about SEO. Whether you're a seasoned pro wondering how voice will affect the future of your SERP, or you're totally new and have no idea what those words even mean, Skill Up has an episode for you. The entire first season is available now, so jump in anywhere and listen to whatever episode strikes your fancy. You can find Skill Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, back to the show. What was it about the the new name, that combination of changes that you feel like worked? Well, first of all, we own the greatest name in the world. It's the good word name. Spartan. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't beat this name. It's twenty five hundred years old. It means when you hear the word, it means so many things to you, um, and so it's a brand that's already built, right? It's ours to screw up. Um, so I think a lot had to do with the change of name. I think um, the fact that. Uh, I had an authentic narrative. Like I really wanted to change lives. I wasn't mm -hmm. doing this as a business plan. This was like, I had a purpose. Yeah. And that purpose oozed out to the customers that were interested in it. It was an amazing product. It changes somebody's life. So it doesn't hurt when you have a product that has 90 MPS scores that changes people's lives. Like yeah. 
right? Then I think anybody that came to work for the company would work for free. They would pay us to work for us. Like it's so powerful to work for this company and and be part of that tra- that cha- transformation of lives. Uh, it feels very purposeful. Yeah. Um, and so you end up getting people, which we do, that are like that live and breathe this thing. What were some of the critical hires that you made that you feel like really turned the company around? There was nobody that we hired that wasn't critical. Mm-hmm. Like everybody that came on put so much energy into it. Um, some of the mistakes I made was I didn't hire um, really strong tech in the early days. And, and my assistant kept talking about a CRM mm-hmm. and technology. And I kept thinking like, I don't have time for that. I can't waste the money on it because I, I don't have a knowledge base in that yeah, area, yeah. right? But the truth of the matter is if I had to do it all over again, I would have spent a ton of time and a ton of money getting that right. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I would have got that right, I mean, at the end of the day, data. Yeah. I need the data. I need the email addresses. I need to know how these people think. And, and I didn't have any of that. We were working off spreadsheets in a barn. Yeah, <laughs> in a barn. Yeah. What's the role that data plays for you today? Well, we have to, we have to learn. We're selling a really difficult product to sell. We're, we're selling a product that asks you to wake up early, yeah. go to bed early, give up drinking, you know, uh, train like a maniac and, and come out and do these events. And so that's not like selling cotton candy or handbags. Mm-hmm. And so um, the data will tell us what person is more likely to consume this kind of product. Yeah. The data will tell us um, when this person is more likely to pull the trigger. Like, like what ads do they have to see? Like, so we spend an enormous amount of money marketing. So if data could save, you know, a percentage point, four percentage yeah. points, if, if if it could increase conversion by a fraction of a percentage, like it's big numbers when you're yeah. talking about a million racers a year. Yeah. What role does past um, customers, sort of your your existing sort of audience, play in uh, pulling new people in? Well, we want to change 100 million lives, and we can't do it alone. So um, we 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 now have about 1.1 million per year come out, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to lean on them and our partners to go get us uh, 95 other million people. Yeah, that so, is that that's no like going from one penny to three pennies. No, it's, no, no, that's this a is, big, this is a big ambitious goal. Goal. Right? Wait, let's dig into that for a second. So, you said that out loud. I said it out loud. It's official. Yeah. Uh, how do you get there? Uh, well, first, why do we get why why a hundred million? One, it's very ambitious. Yeah. Um, two is uh, they say I got a free pass uh, to heaven uh, for me and my family if we change a hundred million lives. Kidding. <laughs> so so um. How, how do you do that? How do you change 100 million lives? You know, when we first started, I thought we could do 30,000, yeah. 50,000. Went to a million. Could we do 5 million? So why can't we change 100 million lives? Yeah. Right? And, and that life change doesn't have to be just doing a race. It could be taking cold showers, giving up coffee, mm-hmm. um, unhealthy coffee. The, the big coffee's filled with the whipped creams and, the, and all the other stuff, right? Yep. No pumping um, spice lattes for anybody. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the extra wine, the, the cookies, the desserts, uh, maybe get off the couch a little bit. My kids asked the greatest question the other day. My two boys sat me down. We were having lunch, and they said, um, so you want to change 100 million lives? They said, um, and they didn't say it exactly this way. I wish they did. But what constitutes that, that change? Does, does that mean you want to have 100 million people doing the race? And I said, well, I don't think we're not going to be able to fit 100 million people through the races. Right. Um, so you want to get them off the couch? I said, yeah, I want to get them off the couch. And my younger son said, well, what if they watch a movie on the couch? Would they still be Spartan? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question. As long as they worked out first. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So your kids are, are in the same mindset that I am, which is just like, I, I'm going like straight to the practical on this. Yes. Um, so do you think that with the existing momentum that you have, that will eventually sort of propel you towards that goal? Or are there actual like strategic changes, new product lines, new, um, new types of engagement that you'll be rolling out in, in the pursuit of this goal? I think I think we're gonna we talk a lot about scale at Spartan. Um, right now, we are in a business where it requires us literally to shovel, mm-hmm. right, and dig, and it's like a knife fight with boots on the ground every day. And so, how can we change lives in a more scalable manner? What can we do to get people off the couch, mm-hmm. to get people training more? And so, that's something we're pursuing and analyzing on a daily basis because um, if you want to hit a hundred million, it's going to be tough doing it with shovels. Yeah. Tell me about some of the people that you've met over the years who have gotten involved with Spartan. Well, I had a 696-pound guy named Chris Davis come out to the farm. We have a farm in Vermont where this was ground zero um, for Spartan was is, and um, we helped him get down to 282 pounds. So that was amazing. That's We've incredible. had all nice kinds Chris. of people that um, have addictions around drugs or alcohol have gotten off their addictions. All kinds of people back with their husband or back with their wife yeah. because of race. All kinds of people that have quit their job, started their own business. I can't even tell you how many women have started their own business coming out of Spartan. Uh, we should have our own shark tank. Yeah. Uh, Spartan tank. Maybe that's how you get to a hundred million. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I mean, every single day we get emails about Life transfer. If I'm in an airport, somebody stops me. Oh my God, mm-hmm. uh, I got to tell you my story. Um, so, yeah, and then and then don't forget. I mean, I got to pinch myself. I get to walk into the Pentagon. I get to hang out with Air Force Special Ops. Yep. I get to go down and see the Navy SEALs, the Marine Corps, Richard Branson, uh, Randy Moss, uh, Alicia Keys. Um, whether you like them or not, Lance Armstrong was kind of. I had to pinch myself on that mm-hmm. one. Just be, right. Just forget about the the craziness there, but kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and, and the list goes up. Somebody said the other day, oh, we got to get you together with Oprah. Um, it's pretty unbelievable. Anybody catch you off guard in all those years and all those interactions? I mean, you seem like a pretty put together guy, but uh, were there any of those stories or even a celebrity that you just uh, befuddled you with a little bit? The only one, not a celebrity, no one would know this name, um, billionaire uh, that I interviewed on, on our podcast. And he grew up in Lebanon. And he was kidnapped, beaten, and tortured for 90-plus hours. Hmm. And he was thrown out of the country, lost all his possessions, everything. And then rebuilt himself in Iran. And then they had the Iran issue in the 70s, and all his friends were killed in the street. And he was thrown out of that country to land in L.A., broke, and rebuilt himself and became a billionaire. And, um, and that's the story. Like, like, yes, Branson's extremely cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, Alicia Keys. I, had, I called my wife, and she was singing to my wife. I mean, <laughs> unbelie- all those stories are unbelievable. But but those story that story there with with Kareem his name's Kareem J- Jowd that's like Unbe- unbelievable six or seven lives already exactly, that he's lived exactly you had a race in Hawaii uh, that sort of went awry uh, tell me a little bit about that story shit show <laughs> um, full so, stop yeah so um, we put on two hundred and seventy five events a year around the world in forty one countries yeah and last year we were looking at getting some insurance to cover us should we have to cancel races, but it was like $350,000 and somebody made a decision we probably shouldn't get it, it's too expensive. Oh, I think we've had to cancel five races this year around yeah. the globe. 
and Hawaii was like a $3 million hit. Yeah. Because um, when the hurricane comes in, there's nothing There's nothing you can do. I mean, uh, at, at first and foremost is people's safety, yeah. uh, our staff safety, um, taking care of our venue. We're on, we're on an $800 million piece of land in Hawaii where they filmed Jurassic Park. Yeah. It is epic. We can't destroy that land. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and our customers are usually crazy and they want to race in the hurricane anyway. Yeah, you could have. You technically, you could have gone, but you decided not to. We decided not to. And so I... Um, I worked around the clock that weekend, and I said, you know what you got to do? And this is very off-brand for me. I said, find the largest, like, nightclub bar that there is in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Whatever it costs, just let everybody know it's on us. Get them in there. Uh, First drink's on us, and then make sure you do some kind of burpee contest or something. And uh, I think 2,500 people showed up. Wow. See, that's... So we turned lemons into lemonade. So... Nordstrom's, everybody's heard of Nordstrom's. Uh, it's probably 1989, right? So you're talking, what, 29 years ago? Do I have that right? Think about that, 29 years ago. And this is a story I'm telling you. Um, Japan was kicking our butt. They mm-hmm. had better service, they had better products. Um, and there were a lot of gurus, business gurus that were writing books in search of excellence came out. Um, they're telling companies, hey, if you, if you want to be an Amer- American company and you don't want to get your butt kicked, you're going to have to really upgrade your service. So Nordstrom's decides that they're going to, um, customer's always going to be right. Customer walks in, the story goes, yep. the 29-year-old story, and returns tires. And they, the manager gives the money back, and they don't sell tires. Yeah. <laughs> but Did they ever sell tires? No. <laughs> no. And, but customer's always right. Yeah. And so 29 years later, I'm telling the story, right? And right. so and so the point is... It hangs on. It, you get back tenfold for what you do. It, whether you like what, uh, the customer's cheating, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Customer's always right. But it's that long view, and I feel like this is a theme in your life, that it's, it's that taking the long view into what success looks like and what that relationship looks like is a very different type business. Delay the gratification. Yeah, exactly. Delay the gratification. All right, so the final thing I kind of want to spend a little bit of time on, we've talked about the race, we've talked about the business. I want to talk about the the movement of people that have swelled up around you and around Spartan. How would you describe the community? Rabid, <laughs> um, tribal, um, it's a religion, uh, cult, uh, a healthy cult. Yeah. I mean, 10,000 plus tattoos, Really, really nice. I mean, you if you walked into a place and there were Spartans, you know, interspersed with other groups of, of like-minded people, yeah. you'd know the Spartans right away. They'll bend over backwards for you. Um, they'll pick garbage up off the floor in the rain. Like, they're just amazing uh, people. Um, and I think that's because they have tremendous gratitude. They um, have suffered. They've gone through hell and back with a Spartan race, mm-hmm. right? And... Um, it's just an amazing movement. There's five million of them around the world. China, I mean, it's just everywhere. It's just unbelievable. The whole thing's unbelievable. Yeah. I might just start crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of fascinating to me is it's a pretty diverse group of people. 72-year-old grandma, um, 20-year-old uh, Navy SEAL, yeah. um, you name it, and everybody in between. We had a monk show up in, in full garb at our world championship who borrowed money or they donated money to him from France, mm-hmm. got on a plane to come race in his outfit. Yeah. Um, sandals, the whole thing. Like you, from all over the world, they come. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the power of shared experience, right? I mean, where else do you get a 72-year-old woman and a 20-year-old Navy SEAL or what have you having gone through the same thing? Even if they didn't go through it side by side, they both experienced that. Exactly. 
Yeah, very cool. So how much of your time and your thought process goes into the business and how much of it goes into fueling this sort of movement around it? Well, I wish I would. I wish I didn't have to deal with the business at all because mm-hmm. I mean that's the boring stuff, right? The numbers, the budgets, um, growth rates, etc. Um, but the reality is, uh, you gotta make the donuts. Right? Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta do the work every day. Yeah. Um, but but if I had my druthers, if I could do anything I wanted, I, I mean, I love the experience. Yeah. I love um, the transformation and and getting people together in that community for that weekend. So. Um, so I, I is a terrible answer, but I got I got to do it all. Yeah, I got to do it all, and family. So, how essential are you, Joe, to this movement, to this business? If if you decide to, it's time to quit, to hang it up. What happens? Well, I've got five million Spartans there to carry the torch. So, um, first of all, I can't quit. That's that's just not part of the DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, death is the exit strategy. So. Um, yeah, they got it. They got to pick it up. Do you think it will? Do you think it needs a new leader, or do you think the the millions that you've engaged can be this sort of amorphous? I think if anybody out there is qualified and wants to run this thing, my email is joe at spartan dot com. <laughs> <laughs> I am taking resumes. There you go. You heard it there. All right. Well, we'll we'll leave it there. the The final question that I have for you, um, God, it feels like you've taken on a lot of challenges. It feels like you've taken on all sorts of challenges, a huge range of them. Um, as sort of a final question, what's difficult for you? What's difficult? Everything is difficult. I mean, I, I met um, Stephen Pressfield. He wrote uh, The War of Art. He wrote Gates of Fire. He, he is the preeminent expert on Spartans. Mm-hmm. And he said, we all face resistance every single day from the moment we wake up. If we're a writer... If we're, uh, whatever we are in life, we face resistance. The, so- the sooner we can recognize that we're going to face resistance and accept it and give into that and just kind of plow through anyway, um, the-, the quicker you'll get ahead. And so and from the moment I wake up, I got to fight myself to do my workout. I got to fight myself to take my cold shower. I got to fight myself to-, to get to work, you know, super early, knock out 600 emails. But I don't think that's different than anybody. Tom Brady's got, everybody's got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So... Today's episode was produced by Matthew Brown and featured music from Synchronize. We'd like to thank Joe and all of the folks over at Spartan for letting us take part in the race at Fenway. If you'd like to learn more about Joe, we've just released a documentary all about Joe and Spartan called Brilliant. You can find it over on our HubSpot YouTube page or in the link in our show notes. I know I'm biased here, but you should seriously check it out. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and thanks for listening.